Hello and welcome to Haunted Hometowns with me, Blake Lambert Hack, your weekly true crime paranormal podcast. This season I am covering cases from New York City, and tonight is all about a building with an intense history, just known by its address, 57 West 57th Street, just south of Central Park. But before we jump into that, I do want to say a couple things. First, I saw the new Evil Dead movie, and it was great. I don't know how I feel about the final boss, and for those who have seen it, you'll know what I'm talking about. But the overall movie was great. A lot of blood, which doesn't bother me, but it's not necessarily my favorite favorite type of horror movie there was some nice comedy little camp similar to what we get out of the original evil deads but definitely in a 21st century way but the acting was great the visual effects were gross but great the cheese creator scene that was really hard to watch the the tattoo needle almost going into her eye. These are kind of spoilers. I mean, if you've seen the trailer, they kind of show these, so I don't really consider it a spoiler. But there are definitely some maiming and death that's really intense. So be prepared, but it's really well done. I like it. Secondly, when my brother was in town this last week, we went and saw the new musical Shucked on Broadway and let me tell you that show is the funniest show I've ever sat through and I've been to Book of Mormon I've been to POTUS Shucked is by far the funniest musical I've ever seen on top of that the music was incredible the acting was great we sat third row center Alex Newell was incredible just hearing her sing that close, I was like in awe, obsessed. I've been obsessed with her for a while, but I finally got to see her perform live and I'm truly just obsessed. So two recommendations there for you. Oh, and last week I went to a private listening party for a pop singer named Jordy and his album, his second album just dropped uh this last friday so i think i mentioned it last episode but definitely go listen to it want to give him a shout out as well because he's killing the game go listen to boy okay with that let's get into 57 west 57th on february 3rd 1929 a 27 year old woman esther glasser 
was laying in her bed while her sister, Leah, visited her at the Medical Arts Sanitarium. Esther was admitted into the 14th floor sanitarium when she had a nervous breakdown from a deep depression while studying to be a teacher. And let me tell you, I kind of don't blame her. A, college is intense in itself. B, teachers these days. I have substitute taught and it is challenging. Like, props to teachers out there, especially if you're a new teacher. It's not... The light at the end of the tunnel is getting farther and farther away. So I do feel for teachers and all the bullshit that they have to put up with. Like the politics of teaching is too much. So, you know, Esther, I get it. This is 1929, so it's different. But Esther, I get it. She's not feeling it. So she's admitted into a sanitarium. I don't know if this nervous breakdown from a deep depression really warrants going to a sanitarium, probably just to go see a therapist. But you know, it's the early 1900s. It's kind of like what they did. So the 18 floor building was built in 1928 and was intended for physicians, dentists, and any related medical professionals could work and rent out those spaces in 57 West 57th Street. It was also known as the Allen E. White's Medical Arts Building or the Professional Center Building back in the day. I don't believe they're called that today. Private doctors immediately moved in when it was built and it's this really gorgeous building with really nice gold detailing on the outside. Of course, I'll post photos, check out socials, haunted hometowns. But at the time, it was just, it stood out from the crowd of other buildings around it, you know. So private doctors wanted to work in this brand new building. It probably had all of the updates, all of the new shit that comes with building new and moving into new. I moved into, for college, I moved into a brand new building. So I was the first to live in that dorm and everything was just so pristine and nice and clean and it was really lovely. So as a doctor, I get it. I don't blame you. Because it's one big building, 18 floors, and multiple uh, doctors and or like companies were renting out these spaces each floor or a couple floors were like their own mini hospitals or sanitariums and the medical arts sanitarium called 57 West 57th home on November 21st, 1928. And they took over the top two floors. Two months later, they would have their first tragedy when Esther complained She was feeling ill. The nurse left the room to grab medicine for the young woman. But before the nurse could return, Esther leaped from her hospital bed, darted for the open window in her room. Her sister Leah quickly grabbed Esther's arm, but Esther was able to wrestle Leah off. And Esther jumped to her death 
17 floors below. A taxi driver nearby witnessed her body, quote, explode against the sidewalk, unquote. And I can only imagine the grief Leah was going through after that. Like that, it's hard to lose a family member, especially a sister, but to also like witness it. And the taxi driver, I cannot, no, I could not explode. To describe something as exploding, is, that's a very clear visual and something I don't ever need to see. The only exploding I want to see is a fruit. You know when they drop those, like a watermelon off the 20th floor or like wrap watermelon with rubber bands and it explodes or really, really fit men popping watermelons between their thighs. That's as good as it gets. That's all I need. I don't need anything else exploding. That's it. Unfortunately, that will not be the only tragedy to happen in the building. 57 West 57th. And I'm going to tell you this, you know, the most infamous story. However, I do want to say that, you know, it was a building that housed medical professionals and sanitariums and... I'm sure there were more deaths in that building than what has been recorded. So when we get to the hauntings and such, just keep that in mind, you know? We talk about very specific people, but I doubt they're by far the only people who have died in the in the building. Okay. Albert Champion. He was a French track bicycle racer born in Paris, France in 1878. He did so well in France, he was invited to compete in America for the 1900s season. He raced all along the East Coast from Boston to Atlanta. And in three years, he won over 100 races in the States. That's incredible. 100 races. He won 100 races. Even just competing in 100 races is exhausting. Then to win them all? Good on him. Good job, Albert. He also won a world record for fastest mile on a motorcycle around an elliptical track. All I can think of is Talladega Nights, partly because I talked about it earlier today. (laughs) My roommates and I were talking about sports movies And I brought up Talladega Nights as if that, you know, is considered a sports movie. Space Jam 2. But that quote of Ricky Bobby as a kid, and he's just like, gotta go fast. Gotta go fast. That's all I think of when I think of racing. Whether it's on a bike or in a car. Or on foot. Gotta go fast. So during a race where he was driving a Packard Grey Wolf, which is that super old-time-looking car that doesn't have a roof or doors. Just, like, very bare-bones racing. He, Albert, unfortunately crashed in that car and snapped his femur, which is insane. The femur is the largest and strongest bone in the body and accounts for almost a third of your height 
So if you're short, blame your femur, I guess. But like the fact that his femur snapped means the crash must have been horrific. I don't think those cars could even go very fast at that time. But I bet it was just the way that a car rolled over him or he may have gotten pinned or whatever. But one of the grossest images ever. Talk about bloody and gross images. It's like a bone sticking out of a leg after it snaps. Disgusting. That's why I could never be a doctor. Again, blood doesn't like make me squeamish or like anything like that. But like ER nurses and ER doctors, they see so much shit. I cannot even imagine. I'm curious if someone has like recorded like a doctor that's maybe retired and has worked in the ER for 50 years or whatever. I wonder if they've recorded all of their instances or the most crazy events. I'm gonna have to look that up because even just the few things I have heard from friends and people who I've met who've worked the ER, it's a lot. But yeah, Albert snapped his femur. femur. His, uh, His doctor, when they were finished, his leg was two inches shorter. However, and two inches shorter, I don't know how he was able to walk like two inches is significant so I don't know if they gave him a platform shoe on one foot because again this is you know 1900 or like at least the early 1900s like I'm just curious if he had to carry around a crutch with him all the time or if like an amputee if they gave him something to you know lace up or put on like that but two inches shorter but this did not stop him from racing he moved back to Paris and continued to have a very successful career and during his time in America he married his childhood sweetheart but he had many affairs this led his wife to sue him for extreme cruelty and they got a divorce and you know what good for her good for her extreme cruelty we need more of that honestly let's start suing people for extreme cruelty some sources say he asked his wife for a divorce and gave her a million to accept the divorce which honestly i probably would have taken it's not a bad deal if my husband's cheating on me And he's like, you know what? Let's get a divorce. You can have a million dollars and be on your way. I'd say, great. Thank you. Bye. Forever. He probably had a lot more than that. And she may have, you know, taken half of his money. So she may have made millions. But if I don't have to go through all the bullshit that a divorce go, you know, you have to go through for a divorce and I can take home a million dollars. I'm kind of in. I'm in. In Paris, Albert retired from racing, but stayed in the industry of racing. He worked for a manufacturer that helped the best drivers win the greatest races. He moved back to the States and in 1905 created his own manufacturing company 
creating porcelain spark plugs. The Albert Champion Company did very well, and eventually Albert met a much younger showgirl from Kansas in New York City, Edna Crawford, and they were married in 1922. It was a, what people would describe as a sweeping romance. But Edna didn't really seem into Albert all that much. I mean, it's the classic tale as old as time. I'm into your money more than I'm into you situation. And I gotta say, as much as I don't agree with it, One of my favorite Dolly Parton songs is about that exact same thing. I will oil-wells love you instead of always love you. Oil-wells. And the whole song is about her, like, meeting this rich man in Texas because he owns a bunch of oil-wells. And she... I don't know. It's this whole story about how he loves her and she loves his money and that's all it is and she'll tell him i will oil wells love you it's a nice little pun a little twist it's a good song it's great go listen but yeah edna was obviously just into albert's money because of this albert refused to give her spending money though he did buy her many expensive gifts i don't know how i feel about that Like, if you're married, I don't really agree with giving an allowance to a significant other. That makes it seem like you're not on the same playing field. And even if you aren't money-wise, you should be in every other way. So maybe expensive gifts make up for it. I think it really depends on what he bought her. If it's not a Fabergé egg, I don't want it. They decided to take a trip to Paris and stayed at the Hotel Maurice. One night, Albert was to meet his wife Edna at a bar in the Hotel de Crillon. But when he arrived, he saw Edna making out with a man he soon learned to be Charles Brazel. Now, I want to know, A, why they were meeting at a different hotel bar. I mean, maybe it's a nicer hotel bar, but what's wrong with Hotel Maurice's bar, huh? Secondly, if she knows she's meeting her husband at this bar, why why did she have her lover come by? Like, that's something you, like, meet up with your lover later. You don't do it before. In the same space, you're going to meet your husband, like, unless she wanted to get caught. Ah, the games. Oh, the games people play now. That's another Dolly song. Of course, the two men got into a fist fight, and Albert, being much older than Charles, was knocked out by a punch to the face. Later that night, he died in his hotel room. And when police went to investigate, Edna claimed he died of a heart attack. Which is 
wild because you're getting into fights in public in a what I can only assume is an open bar where like at least the bartender saw what happened. So then to claim that like, oh no, you know, he just had a heart attack and died. I don't know what happened. Sus. And what makes it even worse is that there was never an investigation into Albert's death. The police kind of just bought it or took her word for it and moved on. And that you know, French police, if you're listening, that's not cool. Again, I know this is like forever ago, a hundred years ago, but come on. Not that America's police are better, but Edna received between 12 and $15 million from her deceased husband. 12 to $15 million. And the police didn't investigate. That is wild. With that money, Edna and her boy toy Charles headed back to the States where they tried to purchase a penthouse at, you guessed it, 57 West 57th Street. But one of the floors was already occupied by the sanitarium we were talking about. So instead of finding another gorgeous penthouse in New York City, as if there is a lack of gorgeous penthouses in this city, Edna, being the rich bitch she is now, chose to kick the mentally ill patients out of the building by purchasing the entire building for $1.3 million in cash. So instead of, again, finding a new perfectly fine penthouse, which I would bet money that there were penthouses across the street, across 57th, yeah, across 57th, I'm sure there's penthouses, across, I think the cross street might be 6th Avenue, something, 7th Avenue, maybe something like that, and I'm sure there's penthouses there, so it's not like she had to go to a different neighborhood Like, it's New York fucking city. There's penthouses in every other building in Manhattan. Don't quote me on that, but I'm, like, that's what it seems like. But instead, she buys the entire building for $1.3 million in cash and then kicks everybody out of the building. It's insane. And then she takes her millions and remodels the entire penthouse. And from my understanding, it's, like, two floors. And so... One floor was, like, her space, and then the other floor she gave to Charles. She installed a $30,000 gold canopy bed in her bedroom. $30,000 gold canopy bed. First of all, canopy beds are ugly as fuck. It's so outdated. Don't have a canopy bed. Don't have a canopy bed. I feel claustrophobic in those things. It's crazy. Secondly, we're like really past the era of gold. Like gold can be fine. And I, of course, you know, have faux gold jewelry. But to make it a statement piece is kind of gaudy. 
not a fan. The taste level, not to beat a dead horse, but the taste level is clearly not there because she also had a 40-foot Venetian mural featuring herself nude hanging in the penthouse, I believe her living room. 40 feet this mural of her nude body was. 40 feet. I would never spend my money on that. But I'm also not narcissistic like fucking Edna apparently is. My aesthetic for houses is definitely industrial modern. Give me metal. Give me wood. Give me glass. Clean lines. She was obviously going for maximalism and in the worst way possible. Because I've seen maximalism and maximalism can be actually really cool when curated properly. But this is too much. She had gold and silver walls, I believe, you know, wallpaper as well as accents, marble mantles. So imagine a gold and silver wall with a marble mantle on. It's too much. Stained glass windows, which again, in my opinion, don't belong in a house. It belongs in a church. Though my grandparents do have a stained glass window on their front door and it does look really pretty because it's very specific and my grandpa did it and it's really beautiful. So, you know, there's always an exception to the rule, but I'm going to say the rule is stained glass belongs in a church and that's it. She had fountains in her bedroom or not her bedroom, but in her house in general, she had fountains, her penthouse. And again, don't agree with that at all. The restaurant I work at has a fountain outside the women's restroom. I don't, you know, it's just not my aesthetic, but, you know, here we are. It also said, uh, the article I was reading said she had exotic plants around the house and on the terrace. And she had monkeys and peacocks in her house and they were just left to like roam the penthouse monkeys and peacocks i need to know what kind of monkeys because that's insane it's insane wrong with letting any animal roam your house like that especially wild animals like that they're gonna shit and piss everywhere and she obviously has the money for a housekeeper and you know somebody to clean up after those animals but do you really want that No, not me. If I'm going to have a pet in my house, it's going to be a dog. Though I have been contemplating a chameleon for a long time. Because I want one of those really tiny chameleons. And then they can just like live in this like really big potted plant. Like I don't really want to put them in a cage. I just want like this big plant that they can live off of. I think that'd be cute. But yeah, monkeys and peacocks roaming the entire place. Basically a real life rainforest cafe for those who have eaten there. If you don't know what a rainforest cafe is, I'm sorry. I'm pretty sure they're all gone, but it was basically 
animatronic animals that would, you know, move and make noises. And you like ate in a jungle and there's waterfalls. And then there'd be like thunder would start and you'd get a rainforest, you know, a thunderstorm in the rainforest. It was cute. It was really fun. Kids loved it. The food was fine. But that's basically what was happening in Edna's pe- uh, penthouse. So the two floors she renovated, one of them, the top one, was actually housing for the housekeepers that cleaned the entire building when it was in use for medical patients. Again, the second penthouse was part of the sanitarium that she kicked out. When Edna bought the building, it was cleared out and she made one penthouse for herself and one for Charles and they connected the two with a secret staircase. Why? I don't know. I'm sure everybody knew they were fucking, but maybe because Charles was still married? Possibly. He obviously didn't love his wife. I don't know why he was still married to her, but yeah. Within the building, Charles created a brokerage office on the second floor of the building and opened a nightclub in the basement of 57 West 57th. Not long into this relationship, Charles became violent and possessive. He didn't want her seeing another man and tried to confine her to her penthouse. And again, I feel like this is like stereotypical forensic files type shit. When you're a mistress or a mister and the person you're seeing ends up leaving their spouse, you can't be surprised if they start cheating on you. You were the one that they were cheating on their husband with. So it's not really surprising if they continue the bad habit. But Charles did take it too far because he hired people to monitor her every movement, which is very much not okay. They would get into drunken arguments that eventually became physical. It got so bad that Edna and her family hired bodyguards and kicked Charles out of the building. Like she dropped thousands upon thousands of dollars on this penthouse for Charles and then the kicked him out completely because it was that's how abusive he was horrible the problem is that charles had keys to the entire building because again he had a brokerage office and a nightclub at the bottom so he would sneak in hiding in different offices for days at a time like he's insane he's mentally ill like go see a therapist this is crazy and I am using crazy because he's abusive. I don't give a fuck about him. He can choke. I don't know if restraining orders were a thing at this point, but if you are dating or have an ex or even just a random man who acts like this, get a restraining order and change all of the locks. If they've ever been in your house, change the locks. Change the locks to your office Better safe than sorry. There's that TV show, Worst Roommate Ever, I think it's called on Netflix. That shit's really good. And 
There's also the show on Netflix, I Am a Killer, but also I Am a Stalker. I'm pretty sure is what it's called. And I Am a Stalker was actually really fascinating because you learn a lot, like, legally. Because legally, there isn't a lot you can do when you have a stalker, especially if you don't know who the stalker is. Most of the time, people do know, you know, it's an ex or a family member or, a, you know, somebody you met randomly a couple times, a friend. But um, first thing first is always get a restraining order because then you have legal backing. Not that, again, restraining order isn't going to protect you physically, but it protects you legally. And this is coming from someone who's never had to get one or had any kind of instance like that. So correct me if I'm wrong, DM me, email me, let me know. But I'm pretty sure that's the situation. But I do want to quote one of my favorite podcasts, My Favorite Murder, and quote, fuck politeness. If someone is acting possessive and crazy like this, you don't own them anything. You do not have to stay with them kick him to the curb and I say this because eventually Charles was able to get to Edna while her bodyguards were away or in a different room and he beat her to death with a phone one of the bodyguards came in witnessed him attacking her and murdering her and the bodyguard picked him up and tossed him off the roof where Charles fell 17 stories. Now, some say he died on impact. It'd be hard to survive something like that. Some say he miraculously survived, but died 10 days later. And some say he survived, tried to get the inheritance from Edna, but found out she changed her will to not include Charles, and then he died from the injuries. Either way, Charles died from being tossed out of a window after murdering his girlfriend in 57 West 57th. Today, the building is rented by various healthcare businesses. The ground floor is occupied by the restaurant Quality Italian, which is a restaurant within the restaurant group I work for, And I had no clue until researching this that the penthouses are occupied with ghosts. Maybe I'll ask my Sam, who used to work at Quality Italian, if they know anything about the history of the building, because I have a feeling he might. But with that, let's take a short break, and I will be back with the paranormal of 57 west 57th street new york city new york Okay, so years after the murders of Edna and Charles, 
The penthouses sat empty, of course. The building continued to be rented out, but the penthouses were abandoned until radio producer Carlton Alsop moved in with his wife and their four Great Danes. Now, I'm not sure which wife moved in with him since both divorced him. And both women were famous actors. He was married to Martha Scott first, who was known for her roles in Ben-Hur and the musical Our Town, which she originated Our Town on Broadway and then was in the movie as well, which is kind of fun. But they divorced in 1946, and a year later, Carlton married Sylvia Sidney, who was best known for her roles in Summer Wishes, Winter Dreams, and cult classic Beetlejuice. And I guess he only marries Academy Award-nominated actors because Martha and Sylvia were fucking killing it in the game. But Sylvia and Carlton divorced in 1951. I believe he moved into 57, West 57th, with Sylvia and the Great Danes. There is a really great photo of him with one of his Great Danes, and I'll post that on socials. But owning a little dog in New York City is challenging in itself. Like, owning any pet here is challenging. But let alone four massive dogs. Great Danes are huge. We have a family friend that has a Great Dane Mastiff mix, and Mastiffs are also huge. But she weighs 175 pounds. Like, she's large. Large. She kind of looks like a tiger. I love her. But this man had four Great Danes. So he, you know, purchasing two penthouses with connecting stairs. It makes sense. He has the money. And he needs space for his dogs. And it's really close to Central Park. So it just makes sense. However... They weren't living in the penthouse for long when the dogs began to whimper, whine, and eventually refused to even enter the penthouse. And if you've ever walked a large dog, there really isn't anything you can do to change their minds. Navigating walking a large dog is hilarious because if they want to go sniff that tree, you're going to have to let them sniff the tree. If they want to go say hi to a dog, another dog, you're going to have to let them say hi to another dog. So it really is about training, you know. But from my experience, every large dog I've ever met is like the sweetest thing in the world. So throwing that out there. After the dog started acting strangely, Carlton and Sylvia began to hear the click clacking of a woman's heel. Walking through their home. And for me, that is one of the greatest sounds of all time. The sound of power and excellence. A high heel hitting a hard surface. That click, 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 click. Obsessed. Normani does a performance during a award show. Maybe the VMAs or the Grammys or something. But this is when she first started solo and she came out with that click clacking sound of her heels into a dance number and it was so sick it was so good love it 
Not only did they hear click clacking of heels, Carlton and Sylvia would hear late night arguments echoing through the home. And apparently these arguments, these fights weren't just about the past. Whomever was arguing was talking about Carlton and Sylvia, which is unnerving. I don't enjoy people, you know, talking shit behind your back. Do it in front of my face, I always say. But you're hearing phantom voices say your name in your house. That doesn't sit well with me. I don't like it. I need to know who you are. If you have a problem with me, let me know who you are and we'll talk about it. Ghost or not ghost, let me know. But eventually, Sylvia was fed up and couldn't handle it anymore and she peaced out. She moved out. And I don't blame her. It's a lot to deal with. And ultimately, their marriage ended after that. Now, the articles I read, you know, were like, Sylvia couldn't handle the ghost, so she left and they got a divorce. But, you know, there was more to that story. I'm sure Carlton was up to his, you know, no good ways. And Sylvia was like, the ghosts and all this other bullshit, I'm done. She walked out, like, good for her. But after that, Carlton began throwing wild parties But his guests always complained about strange feelings, and many felt like they were being watched during the party. Imagine that feeling in the middle of a busy party in a penthouse with many people around you. Like, yeah, you're probably being watched by other party guests, but when people say they feel like they're being watched, it's a different feeling entirely. There were guests that also felt that they were being followed by a woman, especially when they would go down the stairs. I don't know much about Carlton's life, but it's said that he went mad with the hauntings, that he had to check himself into a mental institution just below the penthouse in the same building. And while he was in the mental institution, he had a very, very challenging time trying to sell the penthouse because everyone who came to take a look at the space left very, having very uneasy feelings. Like they were, they're like, these vibes are off completely. So no one bought it. So once he was released from the hospital, he abandoned abandoned his home completely at a like severe financial loss. The penthouse sat empty for a while until 2010 when it was renovated to make a stunning three-floor home. There was an art gallery that was held in the space a year later. But as it stands now, I have no idea if anyone has purchased the space to live in, if it's, you know, an art gallery owns it and they use it whenever they need, because I've seen that be done before. I do believe the penthouse is listed as unavailable if you were to, like, go search for it online. So maybe somebody does live there 
or again, a business owns it, but I just don't know for sure. Little hush hush. It does seem clear that Edna and Charles do haunt the penthouse, but like I mentioned earlier, there may be some other ghosts roaming about from the sanitarium days. I bet those nurses had to wear heels back in the day, so maybe the click clacking is from those nurses. And honestly, when I say nurses, all I'm picturing are the two nurses in the Lady Gaga Mary the Night music video. With their, I think, the color Lady Gaga says is mint, because it's really in at that time. (laughs) I love that scene. That is my favorite Lady Gaga music video. Mary the Night is so fucking good. Judas may have my favorite choreography, but Mary the Night is a close second, especially in that, like, dance room sequence. And her hair in that last, or second to last scene when she's on the car and the car's on fire. Oh, she just looks so good in that entire show, in that entire music video. Go watch it. You'll see the nurses. It's a long segment up front. Obsessed. If you have a connect to the penthouses and you're listening, I would love to go check the penthouse out. Maybe I'm hoping that it is a gallery. So then I can, you know, go see some art in the penthouse. Do some paranormal investigating, especially in a beautiful home, because, you know, most of these haunted places are abandoned buildings and are trashy and creepy looking. So to go paranormal investigate in a gorgeous space, why not? Sounds lovely. Last week, I was at work and I was walking next to one of my managers. That was kind of like a step behind her. The restaurant's crazy busy at this point. We're in the middle of service. I'm like kind of right behind her. We're walking to go do something separately, but we're walking in the same direction. And she stops dead in her tracks in the middle of the restaurant turns to me and asks if I tapped her on the shoulder, which I didn't. So she was like, that was very strange. And for me, it was like a fun little moment. Cause I was like, Oh my God, she feels like somebody tapped on her. And she almost turned around and said, yes, can I help you? Like I've had that happen to me and it's, I know the feeling girl. I know it. Oh, and on Friday night, this last Friday night, after I got home, I remember texting my friends goodnight while laying in bed. Then the next thing I know, I'm waking up Saturday morning and my phone is completely missing. I lock my bedroom door every night and I put my phone on the wireless charger literally right next to my bed every night. I cannot stress that enough. I have never forgotten to charge my phone at night since moving to New York. In Chicago, it happened to me like a couple times, but the phone was never missing. It was always just laying in bed next to me when I woke up the next morning. So I wake up, I'm missing this phone. It's not on my charger. It's not on a separate plug-in charger I have in my bedroom. I can't find it anywhere. It's not mixed up in my blankets. I have no clue where this phone is. So I was like, 
maybe I left it in the bathroom when I went to go, like, I don't remember going to the bathroom, but maybe it's in there. I don't remember getting a glass of water before bed, but maybe it's sitting on the counter in the kitchen. I don't know. So I leave my bedroom and when I open my door, my phone is sitting on a side table right next to the couch that is immediately in front of my bedroom. Like you open the door and you take one step and there's the side table and my phone is just perfectly sitting there like waiting for me. Now, is that paranormal? I don't know. Would I have left my phone there naturally? Doubtful. Could my roommate have done it as like a prank or whatever? No. A, my roommates wouldn't do that because that they're not that type of people. But also, I lock my door every night. So, they're in the clear. But I panicked a little waking up and my phone was missing. I was like, what the actual fuck? And I sat for a second and I thought about my options and seeing it set so perfectly right outside my door was just a little too strange. But you decide, you tell me if it's paranormal or not. So with that, thank you so much for joining me this week. Go check out those socials for photos related to each episode, guest info, and upcoming news. Send me your paranormal experiences so I can share them on the podcast. Could be your shower faucet being turned on by itself in the middle of the night to an AI voice whispering in your ear, giving you life advice. Let me know. But send them all to hauntedhometownspodcast at gmail.com. I would love to read them on the podcast after an episode. And do that every week would be really hot. So tell your friends, tell your parents, get those ghost stories from your grandparents. You know they have them, whether they like to talk about it or not. They got them. Talk to coworkers, your boss, whatever you need to do. Send them my way. And I will see you all next week for another New York City paranormal true crime experience. Because everyone loves a ghost story. The theme song and music is by Tyre. Follow him on Instagram at Queer Popstar and go stream his music anywhere you stream your music. The artwork is by Pepe Munoz. Follow him on Instagram at p.e.p.e.munoz, M-U-N-O-Z, amazing artist and stylists. I got my information from Wikipedia, the lineup, City Signal, and the New York Times. 